morning. Ah, <laughs> um, I am uh, delighted to be here. I am. Um, I count it a privilege to be able to preach in this church. So, uh, but I want to get right in it. I've got quite a bit I want to share with you. Probably too much, actually. So, um, God this week just sort of opened a fire hose on me. So, last January, um, pre-COVID, I went for the fifth time with the mission I work with, um, and probably about the seventh time to India. Uh, We fly into Delhi, uh, we get in about two in the morning, and then the next morning about nine, we get up and we fly down to a place called Vinshekarab, it's in Andhra Pradesh, which is on the, if you look at a map, it's on the Bay of Bengal, and then we get in a car or a, a van, and we travel up to a place called Bopali. Bopali's a small Indian city of about half a million or three quarters of a million. There are 26, I believe, cities in India that have over a million people. So it's a very crowded place, lots of people everywhere. Um, if you've ever been to India, most people that I know that have been to India fall in love with India. It's just a, a wonderful country in a lot of different ways. It's a complete culture shock. Whenever you get off the plane, um, you smell things you don't normally smell. You see things you don't normally see. Um, People are doing things they don't normally do in our culture, but in their culture, it's a normal thing. So anyway, we, um, we had been told before we left that, um, Possibly we would have some issues this time that we hadn't had before in terms of putting on medical clinics. The way we operate is we go and we put on these uh, medical clinics in small villages. And as we're putting them on, there's sets of people that uh, share the gospel. And it's, it's all uh, coordinated and arranged. They found out uh, in the late 70s that they could share the gospel in India while they were doing medical clinics and see inordinate amounts of people come to Christ. Uh, We average somewhere around 600 people every time we go uh, coming to Christ. So it's it's just a really cool way of doing things. But this time they had told us pre, before we went, that that was a possibility that we would not be able to do that. Um, I actually balked at that and said, I don't want to go if I can't do something there. And so they scurried around, did some other stuff, and then knowing that we might have this happen, we, um, we decided to go ahead and go. So we get there. Um, the day we got there, while we were in transit, uh, the government officials told us that we could not um, leave the compounds. We, we each were, there are three different teams, and we go to three different orphanages. Uh, the ministry has either started these orphanages or inherited these orphanages from a, uh, one from the Canadian Baptist. And so we, um, in transit, uh, they basically shut us down. You know, they got us while we were in the air, basically. And so we get there, and we can't, we can't leave the compound. We can't mess with the kids. How many of you enjoy playing with kids? I mean, that's one of the highlights of the trip. And uh, in the compound I normally stay in, there's 160 of them. Um, in the compound I stayed in this time, there was about 30 of them. But they, they told us we couldn't do that, told us we couldn't interact with the nationals that were there, that we couldn't even leave our, our rooms, basically, or our, our house. Now, um, 
<clears throat> we're good, obedient Christians, so we didn't really do that. Um, we, we did go do two medical clinics. We went back into Ven Shekharab and did uh, two clinics there. The reason we went back into there is, is the people that were standing outside of our compound and watching us didn't follow us when we started going to Ben Shekharab. So we, we went ahead and went in there, um, were able to do a couple of medical clinics, led a few people to Christ. And then on a given day, I don't remember which one it was, but we drove <clears throat> three hours up into um, the mountains and we literally went to the end of the road and did a pastor's conference. While we're at the pastor's conference, um, there were 30 pastors who came in. Uh, they rode in motorcycles um, and they came in. When, when I got off, I was the first one to walk down this hill into the village and there was like motorcycles all over the place. And these guys, some of them had ridden three and four hours uh, to come to this pastor's conference. And um, two of them, as I remember, had been from Arissa State. I don't know if you've ever heard of Arissa State, but in 2010, I believe it was, or 2009, uh, a group of <clears throat> Hindu fundamentalists, <clears throat> a mob basically, uh, went running through um, a, a several Christian villages. They killed a Christian pastor. Uh, they burned uh, 15 churches, and they displaced or burned 1,500 Christian homes. Um, it was a it was a huge blow to the Christian church there in Arissa at that time. These guys had been a part of that in some way or another, and they looked back on it as a sort of a joyful time. And for me, I'm going, joyful? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's strange. I don't know if you realize, but there's persecution going on around the world um, at the rate of about... Uh, well, I think there's like 15 churches that are closed every day around the world. There's um, 13 people being killed daily around the world for Christianity right now. Since 1900, more people have died for the cause of Christ <clears throat> than in all the other centuries put together. Um, there's uh, uh, two children, women girls that are kidnapped every day and forced into uh, marriages and forced to deny their faith in order to be in those marriages. And the majority of that's done by Islamic uh, fundamentalists. That's happening right now. Um, persecution is a real thing. We don't we don't really have a lot of persecution. I thought I was being persecuted by having to stay in this compound for two weeks, basically. Um, that wasn't real persecution. It was unpleasant, but it wasn't real persecution. But today, 15 churches will be closed down somewhere in the world, or the equivalent of. Um, today, uh, 13 people will be killed because they are brothers and sisters in Christ and they've professed Jesus as Lord and decided that that's who they'll follow. God, through Jesus, gives this uh, really interesting, it almost seems um, like an oxymoron, uh, call to us as Christians. He says, uh, verse 10 of, of chapter 5 of, of uh, Matthew he says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Now, just stop there a second. 
Um, anybody here enjoy being persecuted? I mean, no. <laughs> but he says, blessed. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Let me read the rest of the verse. He says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 11, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice in being exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'd like to start this with a prayer. So if you would, let's pray. God, as we uh, open your word, we ask that you would um, just bring up the nuggets of truth here that we can stand on um, if and when we have to face some kind of persecution. As well, Lord, I pray for those who are persecuted across the world and ask that you would give them strength today, that you would watch over them and encourage them and bless them. And Lord, I pray that you would... uh, Just speak to us by your spirit, strengthen us so that we might encourage them, so that we might stand by them, and so that we might be prepared for when that day may come to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to give you sort of four things, if you would, about persecution from these passages, or from this passage. The first is... uh, God gives inner contentment, if you would, in the midst of persecution. He says blessed. Now, I think J.R. has gone through what blessed means. It has the idea of happiness or joy. But in this case, I'd, I'd I'd add to it, it has the idea of being content and peaceful, full of God's joy, even in horrific circumstances like persecution. It's like a supernatural joy in the midst of adversity. It's something that you can't explain that happens to you when you're in the midst of being persecuted, as it were. That's being blessed. That's being supernaturally blessed by God. Now, just, I'm going to run on from there. The second thing I want you to see is the kingdom itself has some interesting, and I would call new commands. Um, Let me just jump to something from here that I think about a lot. Years ago, I was with a group called Operation Mobilization, and uh, Operation Mobilization um, is made up of young people who do short-term missions and uh, go to, they're in like, now they're over 100 countries around the world. But at that time, I was in Austria, and they would send a, a gentleman every two weeks to come and do Bible study with us. It was almost like having a, a preaching at you for um, two hours at a time or three hours. And this Irish preacher came and he began to explain to us the Sermon on the Mount. It's the first time I'd ever heard uh, a real good preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And he talked about Jesus going up on the mountain. If you look at verse one, he says, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Jesus went up to the mountain like a king, if you would. And he sat down and he proclaimed what it takes to be in the kingdom. If you would, he he proclaimed the character of the kingdom, uh, the character qualities of those who would be a part of the kingdom. Uh, Moses went up on the mountain, and and what did he do? He received the law of God, and when he received the law of God, then he came back and gave it to the nation of Israel. And the law, law, as it were, became um, the statutes, the, uh, the running board for the nation of Israel. So here's Jesus. He's the great prophet. He's the great king. He's the the gentle master, if you would. 
And he goes up and, and gives these eight precepts of these eight blesseds about how to be a part of the kingdom. And the last one, the one he ends with, is this whole ad, uh, idea of being blessed when you're in the midst of persecution. So um, Jesus is, is on the mountain and he gives these character qualities of the kingdom. In the Old Testament, when, when Moses gave the law, he gave um, uh, legal things that they had to do in order to be a nation, in order to be a community. And those were um, supposed to be kept from the heart. And if you look at the history of Israel, they, they completely failed. Um, they couldn't keep God's law. And in Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel talks about the fact that um, God was going to give us a new heart. And in that heart, he was going to place the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit was then going to be able to live out the life of Jesus through us. And, and as a result of that, as he lived the life of Jesus through us, um, we would become blessed, if you would, by, by keeping these character qualities. We would be blessed when we were poor in spirit. In other words, we would be blessed when we realized we're a sinner in need of a Savior. We'd be blessed when we mourn. We mourn over our own sin, mourn over our own um, failure as Christians. And it goes down through here, but when we get to the part about blessed are those who are persecuted, was Jesus persecuted? Yes. Yes, he was. And so we have this new heart and it gives a new character. And then um, the kingdom is, is inhabited by those who do righteousness. Righteousness has a lot to do with keeping the laws of the kingdom of God as expressed in those Ten Commandments that Moses had, uh, gave. Those were the laws of Israel that helped form Israel into a nation and helped them live together. By keeping the law, one was righteous in the sense of one being right with his neighbors, community, and his God. Uh, Merriam-Webster defines righteousness as this, acting in accord with divine law or moral, or, or excuse me, divine or moral law. It has the idea of being free from guilt or sin. Morally right or justifiable, a righteous uh, kind of decision is made when we decide to follow the laws of God. Um, the slang for being righteous is genuine or excellent. Uh, let me just give you a few synonyms because I, I sort of identify with synonyms, but... Um, has the idea of being all right or decent or ethical or good or honest or honorable or just or moral or nice, right-minded, straight, true, upright, virtuous. In Amos, can you put that one up? Amos chapter 7, verses 7 and 9, um, Amos says this, he showed me this, the Lord was standing there by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of the people of Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. What was, what was God doing there? He was taking a, a carpenter's plumb line. I don't know if you know what those are, but... Um, we have them today, actually. They're, 
a weight about this big and uh, there's a loop in the end of it and tie a string to it and you drop it down off the side of a building and when you do, you see whether the building is true, whether it's square, whether it's in plumb is, is what they call. And what God was doing was he was holding up that plumb line next to uh, the house of Israel, the 10 northern tribes and he was saying, you are way out of plumb. In fact, you're so out of plumb, I can't fix you any longer. And so he destroyed them. The 10 northern tribes were taken uh, away. They were found to be unrighteous. What, what God is calling us to is to be righteous according to his law, according to what he has laid out for us. The Beatitudes are the laws of Jesus' kingdom, of the kingdom of God. Again, they're heart qualities that make for the citizens of the kingdom. A third thing I'd like you to see here is Biblical persecution comes if we live righteously. That doesn't sound like fun, does it? I mean, if we do a good job of living right before God, we're going to be persecuted? Well, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Let me give you a definition of persecution. It's more than just being killed. Uh, The act or practice of persecuting, especially those who differ in origin, religion, religion, or social outlook. It has the idea of the condition of being harassed or annoyed. I had two ladies in my church. I pastored Canyon Ferry Road Baptist Church for uh, 17 years. Uh, One of the ladies worked at Northwest Bank. Do you all remember that? It's where the Wells Fargo Bank is now. Some of you older folks will remember that one. Um, she talked about Jesus in the workplace. Her, her name was Dixie Shepherd. Um, she was an awesome lady, gentle as the day is long. Um, and she talked about Jesus in the workplace. They fired her. She was harassed. That's persecution right here in Helena, Montana. Another gal, I'm not going to name her name cause she's still around. Uh, Dixie's left. I, I think she's died now. The other gal went to work for Wells Fargo when they occupied that building. She also spoke about Jesus in the workplace. And she was relieved of her job. She probably could have took him to court. Probably could have sued him. That's persecution. That's harassment. That goes on right here in Helena, Montana. But I can tell you what, both those ladies are blessed. They're a joy to be around. They never lost their smile. They never lost their joy. They were were hurt by the process, but they never looked away from Jesus. They never blamed Jesus for what they were going through. The legal definition of of persecution is punishment or harassment, usually of a severe nature on the basis of race, religion, or political opinion in one's country of origin. So persecution comes when someone differs in their opinion of a life issue or a governmental issue. So why is there persecution against Christians? We're the most loving people on the planet, right? I mean, we're filled with Jesus, and Jesus is God, and God is love, right? Why would someone want to persecute us? We're the people of the Prince of Peace, The one who loved the world so much that he was willing to die for all of us. People of the book, if you would. 
People who are to be characterized by love and good works. Why would anyone disagree with that? (laughs) Why would anyone want to shut down an orphanage? That's what's happened, by the way, since I left. They shut down the one I was working in, I believe. Well, why will there be persecution? I think the first reason is when you and I become Christians and Jesus comes to reside inside of us, light emanates from us. If you and I live according to the book, light emanates from us. Can you, did you put up these verses? Uh, John chapter one, verse five, is it up there? The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. When Jesus came, he was light. And when you and I have him inside of us, we become a reflection of his light. Verse 10 says, he was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. The world doesn't want Jesus. But who's the world ruled by? Why did the Jews persecute the prophets in the Old Testament? Because the prophets called Israel back to God and his kingdom, that is light, as opposed to their own kingdom, which had become dark or darkness, which is anything that stood in opposition to the one true God. God's called Israel is to be a light to the world that showed the world how God was and how great it was to have a relationship with him. But all through the Old Testament, they fell short of that because their heart was probably a lot like our heart before Christ came in. The heart of man is always set on his own personal kingdom. The Jews, by and large, failed to do what God had created the nation of Israel for, being a light to his glory and goodness. They turned instead to their own desire. They wanted to be like Egypt. You know, do you remember that song? Take us back to Egypt, oh Lord, take us back to Egypt. Oh well, that's an old one. They wanted to be a king like the other nations. They wanted a king like the other nations. They wanted riches and comfort. They wanted to be left on their own to do as they wanted. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Judges, if you would, is the incubator of the nation of Israel. It's probably the saddest book in, in the Old Testament, apart from Lamentations. During that 400-year period through the book of Judges, they're always falling on their face. They always mess up. The key verse of the book of Judges is, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Romans chapter 1 is the New Testament equivalent of that, if you would. There's this kingdom of darkness that is always at war with this kingdom of light. Why is there persecution? Because Darkness does not want to have light expose it. From the Old Testament times to today, it's the same battle. They refused mostly the rulership of God in their lives and the life of the nation, specifically as expressed in the Ten Commandments, the first commandment being the most important. You shall have no other gods before me. You are to worship the Lord your God and him only. Jesus summed up the law 
all of the law in this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then he said the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. But they, the people of Israel, wanted to be like the nations that had idols for gods and could do morally what they wanted. Sort of the same as us as a nation. Wouldn't you say? We want to do what we want. We don't want to be under his rulership. That's light versus darkness. We have our own idols. They may not be the idols of made with stone, but we have our own idols. And those idols that we bow before are darkness. And when we stand against those idols with light, when we stand against the, the evil of the day with light, it does not want that. And so it begins to push back. In India... Uh, the Prime Minister of India's name is Modi. Um, he's been the Prime Minister since 2014, I believe. And um, he's a fundamentalist Hindu. He's a nationalist, which means he wants um, India to have its own specific character. And he wants to build that character around Hinduism. Uh, there has been a near revival going on in India amongst the churches for about the last 10 years, literally hundreds of thousands of Indians, mostly in the lower class, the Dalit class, have been coming to Christ. Modi has begun to push back against that. That's why we went through what we did last January, a year ago. Modi didn't do that himself, but he's let loose uh, the, the fundamentalist ministers, if you would, that are around him and has instructed them that they're uh, to do whatever they need to do to stop Christianity. They actually pay Christians to come back to Hinduism. That's going on in our world today. Look at verse 11. Jesus said, blessed are you when they revile you or insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Um, persecution can come for a number of other reasons. But biblical persecution for the sake of Jesus is blessed. What entails that? Why are Christians persecuted? Um, are you familiar with John 14, 6? Could you put that up there? John 14, 6 says, Jesus was answering, I believe it was Philip, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Is that true? Say amen if that's true, will you? Okay. If that's true, we've just made a dividing line between us and the rest of the world. If I say that Jesus is the only way, then the Hindu is insulted by that. The Buddhist, the New Ager is insulted by that. How dare you say that there's no other way to heaven or nirvana or uh, to the eternal than through Jesus. And so they come back, they push back. That's where persecution comes from. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Peter's preaching one of his first sermons. 
And he does it to the um, Sanhedrin. He's been pulled in front of the Sanhedrin. And he says, basically, there's no other name under heaven by which a man must be saved than the name of who? Jesus. That's exclusive. That's, that's, a, that's an affront to darkness. That's saying that you cannot make it unless you come to Jesus. That's right. It's true. But darkness pushes back. That's where persecution comes from. And then they start to slander you. And then they start to say all kinds of wild things about you. John 15 verses 18 through 21 give three reasons why Christians are persecuted. If you, do we have that up there? If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Listen, when you become a Christian, they never told me this when I became a Christian. When I became a Christian, it was like this. Um, If you trust Christ, God has a wonderful plan for your life and everything's going to go hunky-dory and it's going to be wonderful. Any of you got led to Christ that way? I mean, it wasn't, you know, three spiritual laws, you remember all that? And that's not wrong in one sense, but they didn't tell you the rest of the story. If you decide to become a Christian and if you decide to make a stand for Christ, you can be a Christian and not make a stand for Christ, by the way. But if you do that, there's a target on your back. You have now drawn a line between yourself and the world. The world hated him. It's going to hate you. Look at the second thing, verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. Was Jesus persecuted? Almost relentlessly through his ministry. And the ultimate price he paid, which was for us, was he hung on a cross by the lies of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. They insulted him. Uh, The Romans beat him with a, a cane, put a crown of thorns on his head, and spit on him, reviled him. Should we expect anything less? Third thing up there is Verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. They're going to persecute you if you stand for him. I was reminded, like I said, it's sort of been a fire hose week. God just, uh, they asked me Sunday, last Sunday, if I would preach. And I don't generally ever turn down an opportunity to preach. And so I sort of went to work. I've preached on this before years ago, but... I had to sort of re-go through everything and I, I f- forgot some of these things, which is you, when you grow old, you sort of begin to forget things. I don't know if you, you guys can identify with that or not, but uh, listen, <clears throat> of, the ele- of the 12 disciples, 11 died prematurely because they were killed for the sake of Christ. Peter was crucified upside down. Uh, Andrew was crucified like this. That's why they call it the cross of Andrew. Thomas went to India. I've been to the place where he was in Kerala. Um, Thomas went to India and he was shot through with dozens of arrows. Bartholomew, which you don't talk much about him, but as I understand it, he was skinned alive. Then I believe he was boiled in oil. 
John, the only apostle who didn't die uh, a martyr's death, was boiled in oil and miraculously saved somehow or another. God stuck his hand in there and kept him safe, just like he did Daniel in the lion's den. Then he was put on Patmos. It was there that he had the revelation that we, we read in the end of the Bible. And then he was freed so he could die a normal death at some 95 years old or something. I could talk about Wycliffe. I could talk about, I, I love the story of Stuart Latimer. You guys know the Stuart Latimer? He was a, an Oxford Don, if you would. He was, a, uh, uh, he was assigned by King Edward, he and a guy named Ridley, to be Dons at Oxford and then to be the, uh, it, it, as it were, sort of the, um, the, uh, the guys who gave good counsel to the king. Then came along after Edward, a woman named Mary. Some of you have heard of her probably, but they call her Bloody Mary. She killed over 200 Christians because she wanted to bring the church of England back underneath the Catholic church. And so they had uh, Ridley and, and um, Latimer, Stuart Latimer, they brought him before the, the uh, a council, a Catholic council, and they, they asked him two questions. They said, does the body and blood of Christ become the real body and blood of Christ at communion? And they said, no, it's a symbol. That's what we believe. And then they ask a second question. In Matthew chapter 16, I believe it is, uh, Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. King James, excuse me. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and they said, uh, Peter is now the cornerstone of the church because he, he um, understood that. And, and they said, no, that's not correct either. Peter understood that Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. And so they put them both on stakes and they put green wood around them. And they lit the wood on fire and they put uh, uh, a bag of gunpowder around their head so that when the fire caught the gunpowder, blow their heads off and end their lives quickly. And um, the fire never got above about here. So it burned the bottom parts of their body. And Ridley began to scream, Lord, take me, Lord, take me. Don't make me go through this. <clears throat> and the classic line. Stuart Latimer turned to him. He said, Ridley, play the man. Play the man. See, there's been martyrs and those who have been persecuted for the sake of Christ from day one. We've had it easy. Thank you, Lord. But it may not be. Persecution may come to visit us soon. Last question to ask here is, can you and I escape persecution? Can we escape persecution? Yes. Pretty easy, actually. You can escape persecution by not taking a stand for Jesus. You don't have to affront darkness. You don't have to affront evil. You can just say, uh, you know, I really, really don't want to do that. I was reminded of a story yesterday when I was listening to some things of a man named Wang Ming Dao in, in China. He was a great pastor in China, written numbers of books. At 60, the Chinese communists brought him into jail, told him if he'd signed this uh, denunciation of Christ, that they would let him go. Um, he thought about it a minute, and he signed it. He walked out. This is one of the main leaders of the church in China in the 
48 or 50. He walked out. He got down about two miles down the road and God just spoke to him. And he said, I can't do that. And he walked back in. He went to the warden of the prison. This is what I heard from his own mouth. I heard the recording of this. He went back to the prison and he said, give me that piece of paper. And in his face, he tore it up. He spent the next 20 years in prison. When, when I heard the recording of his interview with a guy named Peter Conlon, um, he had just been released from prison. This was in like 1984, 82, somewhere back in there. And, and, uh, and his wife had been in prison the whole time too because she wouldn't renounce Christ. And, and Peter Conlon um, was talking to him. He says, how does it feel? And he says, well... Um, it was the right thing to do. I'm glad we did it. And, and how do you feel getting back to your wife? And he said, well, I'm blind and she's deaf. So it's the blind leading the deaf. We're having fun. <laughs> he never stopped loving Jesus. I don't know if I can tell this without crying, but <laughs> he, um, Peter Collins said to him, what's the message you have for the West? And he said this, he answered with this. He said, an old hymn, he said, all the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercies who through life has been my guide? <laughs> Heavenly peace, divinest comfort here by faith in him to dwell. For I know that all things good, I can't remember the last line, he doeth all things well. Could you say that after you spent 20 years in prison for Christ? In China, if you're going to be a pastor, you have to go to a seminary for three years. Did you know this? You have to go to seminary for three years. Their seminary is a prison cell. You can escape persecution. You can be silent. Satan uses two things to get to us. I'll stop with this. but He uses sin and he uses the fear of death. Have you ever had Satan whisper in your ear and go, you know, you're really a jerk because of what you just did. You're really a sinner. How could anybody listen to you? I've had that happen more times than I care to admit. When he does that, if you don't watch out, he'll silence you. Second thing is fear of death. Anybody here want to die? Everybody getting ready to die? Ready to jump off the building and die? None of us want to die in one sense. But if God calls us to the place of martyrdom as that persecution happens and we're called to that place of martyrdom, if we can look death in the eye and not be fearful of it, then at that point, Satan is dethroned Darkness is overcome and light wins. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Let's pray. God, I pray for the church around the world that is um, in darkness, fighting against darkness, and yet is a shining light. God, I pray that you would encourage them, bless them, enable them, Use them. Lord, I pray for us here in America. I pray that we might stand strong for the truth of the gospel, that we might stand strong for what you have done in our lives and for the word of God, for what you say is true and right and good. 
Lord, um, bless us with a determination to serve you with all of our hearts. Even if it comes to the point of persecution and the ultimate, that of martyrdom. Lord, have your way with us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.